happy and healthy January 6th to you and your family. Uh, Same to you, Jesse. How did you celebrate? How did you observe, I should say? I observed this most holy day of the year. I woke up early. I made some coffee in my liberal tears mug. Mm -hmm. I radicalized myself online. And I convinced myself that my neighbor was plotting against the U.S. And I did a little insurrection in their apartment. I took it over. I'm recording from my neighbor's apartment illegally. Nice. How is it? I hope you have your feet on your neighbor's desk. I do. I'm dressed like some sort of shaman. And uh, I am just going to stay here until the police tell me to leave and then uh, kill them. peacefully oh. do so. <laughs> slash or I will be shot by a police officer. We'll see. There's a, there was a lot going on that day. So there are a lot of different ways to celebrate. Indeed. Uh, well, just. It's been a while since we spoke. How was your holiday? Which holiday? I'm putting you on the spot here. We took a break. The holiday from the royal, the, the royal we, the holidays, I our just, holidays. Yeah, I just meant like, I just meant like, we took a week off from the podcast. What did you do? What did I do? I uh, hung out with my dad. I went to a couple of holiday events. I hurt my back. Yeah, just normal, normal holiday stuff. Yeah. All right, now you're supposed to ask me about... Okay, thank you. I did. I It's like you're tra- <laughs> I'm an autistic kid you're training to socialize. I was about to ask you that. Okay, um, mine was good. One fun thing did happen. So my um, my sister came to visit with her kids. And I, I love spending time with my niece and my nephews because it always makes me feel really good about my decision not to have children. Yeah. You know, it's a, just a, a really like visceral reminder of, of, of my choice to be a dog mom. And uh, But one fun thing did happen. We were on a little hike with my with my nephew. He's eight, I think, maybe nine. And he asked. These are the, the trails that are absolutely infested bears. with bears. Yeah. You took your nephew on a bear yeah. trail. Okay. Trash bear was was down there digging through the trash. It was fine. Trash bear. Trash bear. Anyway, so we're on this hike and my nephew out of nowhere asked me if I have ever had a Jubas. What? And I was like. Yes, I work in media. We've uh, we've all had jukeboxes, Jules. Uh, turns out he was asking if I had ever had a jukebox, Jesse, a jukebox. Yeah, I feel like context clues would have helped you there. It was out of nowhere, and I thought, oh God, we're raising an anti-Semite here, which is a little weird because he is his his father's family is Jewish. But no, he was just asking if I had ever used a jukebox before. I was at a Shabbat dinner with some cousins and and so forth. Some jukeboxes. Some, uh, uh, uncle, uh, his kids, which are my cousins. They their kids and someone told a story every jewish family has a story like this if there was like a roommate who'd never met jews uh this roommate asked i think they were from austria or something asked if the person they were roommates with had horns and everyone was no. like off that yes this is a thing that still happens from time to time everyone at the table was like oh god that's awful and i was immediately like well did you did she show him her horns and no one laughed mm-hmm. but i just think the best way to disarm anti-semitism is to make fun of it do you have horns? Yeah, I showed you. That's I sent the you term photos. Horny comes from Hor- horny Jews. That's where the term, the well-known term <laughs> "horny Jews" comes from. That it's a category on Pornhub. Oh God! Um, before we introduce ourselves in our podcast, can I get to one more thing? It's really important. I promise it's important. Okay, sure. So, for the uh, the the first episode of this, the year of our Lord twenty twenty four, which. Really, let's be honest, this could be the last year humanity is around. There's a lot of like Hopefully. threats knocking at the door. Hopefully. It's the first free episode, actually. There's a whole other episode that our uh, freeloading listeners have not listened to. Mm, whatever. I, I just want to read you a bit from an important piece of investigative journalism uh, that just dropped. It's from our favorite publication, Scientific American. Katie, can you read that headline for me? The language of astronomy is needlessly violent and inaccurate. Ah, uh, yes. yes, I am. Thank you, Katie. I agree with you with that thing you just said. I'm just going to read a little from this. For instance, in galaxy evolution, we invoke imagery strikingly similar to what you would expect if you were eavesdropping on Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Words like cannibalism, harassment, starvation, strangulation, stripping, or suffocation. There is a rather long list of foul analogies that have entered and now are entrenched in the lexicon of professional astronomy. We have grown accustomed to this violent language, and as a community, we seldom question or reflect on its use. Dot, dot, dot. To shift toward more welcoming and truthful language in astronomy, scientific journals can push to change the currently accepted language. The referee or the scientific editor can ask the authors to consider more appropriate descriptions of the physical processes involved. Katie, this is so true. It is so important that we make astronomy 
which is a field concerned with titanic forces beyond human comprehension, tearing planets tearing, and stars to shreds. Tearing, Jesse, really? Tearing shreds? Sorry. Um, dividing them into smaller pieces. Divorcing. Can Actually, I, divorcing is too violent. Divorcing, self-divorcing themselves into... Uncoupling, a, Jesse. Divorce is too violent. Let's say uncoupling. Conscious uncoupling. Yeah. Um, can I just offer a couple other suggestions along these lines? Sure. So black hole is problematic for obvious reasons. Right. So instead... The phrase I suggest. Colored chasm. Colored chasm is good. Or this is a little bit pithier and rolls off the tongue more. <laughs> Once in a lifetime opportunity to feel what it would be like to have your body stretched into a nearly two-dimensional line of atoms. I feel like that's good. Uh, it's a little long. Okay, fine. Instead of the massive asteroid strike that killed all the dinosaurs, an unexpected visitor from a celestial guest who offered an opportunity for new forms of life to flourish in ways they never had before. I like it. It's sort of religious. Last one. Instead of the trillions of years expansion and eventual horrific heat death of the universe, you could say an opportunity for conscientious real estate developers to build effectively unlimited affordable housing wherever they want. I like it. Very optimistic. Do you think that it's possible that this column for Scientific American was written by uh, James Lindsay, Peter Bogosian, Helen Pluckrose? Are they back? Is the gang back together? I'm just grateful. I was worried that there weren't enough market opportunities for people who have no ideas other than that were using the wrong words and should instead use their favorite words. I'm just grateful that in 2024, there's that's still going to be going on. I mean, 2024. This is very 2022 content. I know. I know. Katie, what is the name of this increasingly astro-inclusive podcast? This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single. On today's podcast, Katie, we're going to get gay. <laughs> <laughs> She's getting got. Yes, it's it's time to get gay. Gay has been got. We're going to explain how gay was got. But first, you had something else. Yeah, Jesse. So it's been a while since we did this podcasting thing, and and I used the break, you know, to spend time with friends and family. No, you talk to my nephew about anti-Semitism. Oh, you're right. Mostly, I watched home renovation videos while my wife was actually renovating our home on her own. Anyway, uh, while I was looking at my phone, so she's re- she's renovating. You're staring at your phone, calling out like, no, 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 you're doing this wrong. That is so close to what is happening. <laughs> How do you know? She finishes a project. I walk in and I tell her what she's done wrong. This He's this Italian wrong. guy in the video, this Italian American <laughs> guy did it very differently. Yeah. His name is Luigi. Um, okay. So while I was on my phone over the break, I looked up some of our previous stories and I have a few updates. Would you like to hear them? I would love to. Okay, so you probably don't remember this, but in episode 159, how the Unitarian Universal... Yeah, that's the one about the Unitarian Universalist Church, 159. Yes, it melted down. Uh, The meltdown naturally concerned debates over social justice and Kate Rohde, a woman named Kate Rohde. She's a 70-something retired reverend and a former civil rights activist, and she was disfellowshipped from the church for such venal sins as posting an article on Facebook arguing that women should have their own spaces, very bigoted. So we reported this story in April, and on January 1st of this year, Kate announced in a blog post at the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism blog that she is suing, officially suing, the Unitarian Church. Nice. That'll be uh, a juicy lawsuit to read. Yes, we will post a link to that blog in the show notes. Second update, Jesse Felicia Somnes. She was the subject of episode 118 which had the truly horrible title, Every Podcaster is Bi. You just have to figure out if it's polar or sexual. I'm going to assume you wrote mm, that one. Doesn't sound uh, like me. Remind the people who Felicia, <laughs> remind the people who Felicia Somnes is. Okay. Felicia Somnes is a talented youngish. I say youngish. She's probably about my age. Uh, lady reporter. That's what they like to be. That's what you guys like to be. Called, they right? love that. We love abroad, that. abroad, you know, a dame. Um, she worked at the Washington Post so she she had sort of um, been the victim of an alleged assault alleged assault in China at the hands of a foreign correspondent, although it got very contested and complicated. Emily Yaffe dove into that story. Um, it, it it ended the career of a male journalist. Uh, she was sort of an outspoken advocate for uh, alleged victims of sexual assault while also being a national reporter at the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. Um, she. How to put this? Would you say that it is safe to say that she was not necessarily a team player in terms of her tweets and stuff? Her tweets were fucking horrible. That's the best way to put she, it. The Washington Post has generally avoided the internecine nonsense that like really 
made the New York Times seem like a basket case institution for a while, like just the tweeting against one another and stuff. Despite employing Taylor Lorenz. F- Felicia Hopnes was an exception to that because she would really tweet angrily often about like her own bosses and colleagues. And Dave Weigel retweeted a bad joke about um, every woman is bi. You just need to figure out whether it's polar or sexual, which I've never gotten. I'm not really good at jokes or being funny. That's more your department. But it was a bad joke. But um, Felicia Somnes raised a major stink about how offensive this was. And Weigel ended up getting suspended, which is mm-hmm. in retro. He ended up leaving to for the greener pastures of Semaphore. Dave Weigel is extre- is one of the best reporters around. He's just really good at what he does. He covers the right. He covers pick politics. I I actually quoted him in a newsletter recently. Um, suspended for retweeting a bad joke. Meanwhile, I mean, and she said she was friends with him. It was absolutely bizarre. Um, now Felicia right. Somnes eventually got. She was gently calling him in in front of. Millions of people, as you do with your friends. Somnes, like, I think the Washington Post wanted to fire Somnes for a while, but eventually her tweets, she was asked repeatedly to, like, hey, don't shit publicly on your own employer, which, as we've said before, is something that is expected of most employees in most situations. Um, and she just kept doing it, and they fired her. Um, so, anyway, you have, that was a really uh, tangled up <laughs> reminder. But what, what happened, Katie? Okay, so after she was fired, she seemed to disappear for a while, or at least I didn't see hide nor hair of her on Twitter. Of course, she had uh, she has blocked me, so that might have been why. Anyway, wait, I want to see anyone who's blocked you. I'm curious if they blocked. I'm sure Felicia she has blocked Sonnes. you. Continue. I'll 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 just interrupt when I find. Okay, out. so she Felicia recently Sonnes. popped up in a very unexpected place. Katie, I've got an update. Yes. Felicia Sumner's blocked. I'm me. sure she did. Jesse, she recently popped up in a very unexpected place. My radio, she got a job oh, as no. the growth and development reporter for my local NPR station in Asheville, North Carolina. We're practically neighbors. Should I find out where she hangs out and go make friends? Definitely. Her banner I should do that. I should go make friends with her and then not tell her who I am until later. Her banner photo is of these mountains and in the background it's sort of like a um a blue ridge of sorts. I don't know what these mountains are called, but they've got yeah. a blue ridge in the background. Yeah. Yeah. So she's a local now and I'm honestly I'm impressed that she got a job at all after becoming the subject of this huge Twitter storm. She was tweeting through it in a way that you should, she was being bipolar. That's what she was doing. It was very bipolar behavior. Anyway, Not so bisexual. She, did, she did get, it's also bisexual behavior. They're closely correlated. Uh, anyway, she, so she went from being a national political reporter for the Washington Post. She covered the White House and Congress. Before that, as you mentioned, she was in Beijing. She spent four years there. She speaks Chinese, Japanese, and Spanish. She's clearly a very smart and accomplished person, even if she's kind of an idiot on Twitter. And now she's covering zoning fights in Western North Carolina. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a very nice place to live, but I cannot imagine this is how she thought her career would end up when she was uh, tweeting at Dave Weigel. Yeah, she's not just like bad on Twitter. She seems like an incredibly um, difficult person and colleague. Then that's just based on her own tweets. So it's just in retrospect, like... Um, right after the attack on Israel started, and we're not getting back into this, I'm uh, making a narrow point here. Someone tweeted, what did y'all think decolonization meant? Vibes, papers, essays, losers. That tweet was liked by Karen Atia. Karen Atia is a Was- Washington Post global opinions editor. That's fine. It's fine to like a tweet, you know, saying just justifying rape and murder, um, retweeting a bad, arguably misogynist joke that gets you suspended. So I think at this point, everyone knows in journalism that like, if you're seen as having the right politics or frankly, the right identity, you can do not whatever you want. There's a limit even for Felicia Somnes. But, um, yeah, I just, I, uh, <laughs> I just couldn't believe that Karen Atia liked that tweet. And there wasn't there. I mean, it was a big deal. It got written up in the free press and in conservative outlets, but, from the Washington Post perspective, in terms of social media conduct, that's fine. So that was a little bit disheartening. Well, Felicia Somnes has apparently landed on her feet somewhat, somewhat. It's a step down. No offense to Blue Ridge Public Radio, but... Everyone I know who lives in North Carolina is just a giant scumbag. So I don't know if she lives True. Or, you know, land on her feet. All right, Jesse, speaking of jokes, our next update is on the subject of episode 172, the crass examination of Jad Slayman, who writes these titles. That was actually a good, good episode name. The- I did that one. It. I'll cop to that one. Yeah. Jesse, would you like to remind people who Jad Slayman is? Yeah, Jad Slayman is a was a public radio reporter in Philadelphia. Um, 
interesting background. Uh, I think his parents were Arabic and he had like been a member of the military and covered the war um, as a member of the military in Iraq. And um, just he has like the kind of background you would want in a public radio reporter. He wasn't some mm-hmm. just like prep school. He didn't kid. go to Exeter. He did not go to Exeter, which, you know, usually I would not trust anyone who didn't go to Exeter, at least Phillips Andover. Right. But in his case, I, I kind of liked him. Um, and he got a job uh, as a public radio reporter at WHYY. He also did stand-up comedy on the side. And he did stand-up comedy in a way that, as far as I could tell, really kept his identity as a stand-up comedian separate. Like, there was no real way to link the two. And he got fired very suddenly without any due process from WHYY uh, over supposedly offensive stand-up comedy he had done that had allegedly brought him and the station disrepute, disrepute, disrepute this year. I'm going to learn how to pronounce words. We did a whole episode on this because it was really interesting. It included um, some audio, bizarre audio from this hearing uh, he went through. And uh, yeah, you have an update. Right. So Jad was fired. And then with the help of his union SAG-AFRA, he filed agreements with the American Arbitration Association. And then he and WHYY entered into arbitration. The arbitrator conducted an investigation. Uh, This was a full, detailed analysis of Jad's jokes. Uh, Imagine having that job. And the arbitrator recently ruled that while some of his content could technically violate WHYY's social media policy, when viewed in full context, the jokes were not, as WHYY claimed, egregious, an egregious violation of their social media policy. Basically, the arbitrator ruled that jokes are funny. I like jokes. That was the entire ruling. Jokes are, jokes funny. are funny. I, I like, like jokes. jokes. Jad yes. gets his job back. Yeah. Yeah. So he ordered Jad's job be reinstated with full back pay and benefits, which is especially great because Jad has MS and WHYY in their infinite wisdom cut off his health insurance immediately after firing him. So that is great news, except now Jad has to go back to work. So he both won and lost. Uh, he also had to agree to delete the offending jokes from his social media. So I emailed Jad about this to ask how he was feeling about going back to work with the people who narked on him and then fired him for telling jokes. And he said the guy who actually narked on him is some facilities guy, so they don't really what? interact. With- yes. This is like at the times where like random right. ass computer like programmers get to complain right. about. Yeah. Yeah. That'll take some of the awkwardness out of it, I guess, unless he's like emptying Jed's trash can. Uh, he also said, quote, I'm actually kind of bummed about having to go to work again. It's been fun just doing only stand up in the past year. And I've started getting spots at clubs up here. And by up here, he means New York. He moved there after he got fired. Wait, he did? Yeah. Why don't I hang out with him? I don't know. I guess he doesn't like you. He, I guess my my uh, snail mail notice that he was moving here got lost in the mail. Maybe it's because you're Jewish. <laughs> he is a very rabid anti-Semite. Yeah. He also said, I definitely didn't expect to win reinstatement because I've been shit talking these people for a solid year. The thing going for me this whole time was just staggering levels of stupidity from management. They broke a lot of obvious procedural rules. I think they just didn't expect I'd put up a fight. And he also told me that he is considering suing WHYY for defamation. He is meeting with a lawyer this week. Uh, So if you are a WHYY donor, you might want to cut out the middleman and just send your track directly to Jad instead. (laughs) Any you, okay, I like Jad, but you don't you don't like you shouldn't say I am considering this loss. Like you just either find a lawsuit or don't. Anyway, um, congratulations to Jad Mazel Tov, as his people say. Yes, Jad, please film your first day back at work and send it to us. And Jesse, final update: Fergie Chambers announced he converted to Islam. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't think we need to analyze that further. I just think it makes sense, and we should leave it at that, right? Please tell people who Fergie Chambers is. Fergie Chambers. Um, is like a maybe soon to be domestic terrorist. He's a communist <laughs> who like owns this weird compound in the Berkshires, although he lives in New Hampshire for tax reasons, like all good communists. Actually, I you pointed that out. I don't think that's hypocritical because I think if you if you're trying to take down the state, you should deprive them of tax money. Yeah, he's this big anarchist communist guy from uh the he's a Hearst. Cox. Cox, I'm sorry. He's 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 like he's got hundreds of millions of dollars, and he's said he's going to give them to revolutionary causes. Uh, he gets his hands dirty in his credit. He was arrested like blocking some company door. Uh, we the episode we did set was centered more on Calla Walsh, this young woman caught up in his whole thing and in her own stuff. So yeah, um, inshallah, we will hear more from them in the coming year. Although hopefully it won't be in the form of like violent revolution. Right. Hopefully he is not going to start, I don't know, funding ISIS, but you never know. You never know. Or doing or doing offensive stand-up comedy. I mean, I feel like as a Muslim, Fergie and I, you know, we could connect. We could connect now. 
it, me, him, and Andrew Tate. <laughs> Remain, <laughs> remains our least favorite part of our, our slim booklet of lore. Uh, I think even less so than the horse fucking. <laughs> okay, let's do a quick housekeeping and then we're going to get gay. But first, here's an ad for our free listeners. Jesse, can I ask you a personal question? <sighs> Fine, like maybe three and a half inches. <laughs> How much is your phone bill? $70 a month. How much is yours? I am embarrassed to admit this, but my phone bill is almost $300 no. a month. Yes. And no, I am not calling 1-900 numbers. That is just what it costs. That is almost as much as I spend on pizza every week. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. Have you ever thought about why your wireless bill is so damn expensive and why mine is so much more expensive than yours? It's all just radio waves. And how much can a radio wave really cost? <laughs> it seems like a very sophisticated understanding of self phones it's all just radio waves they're free they're in the air radio waves are literally free and all around us exactly i think that big wireless got together and decided a hundred dollars a month 200 a month 300 a month i think they'll buy it what choice do they have katie have we got some news for people (laughs) now thanks to mint mobile you do have a choice for a limited time all phone plans from mint mobile are 15 dollars a month in new york city 15 dollars gets you one droplet of a, a blowjob. Fin- <laughs> can we put that in? I don't think we can put that in. Yeah, let's see how this goes. $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. I just installed Mint Mobile, and my favorite feature was that it automatically blocked your number. Pre-installed. <laughs> Plus, the quality is just as good as Big Wireless, and it's saving me literally hundreds of dollars a month that I could be spending on a better cause, like my dog's college fund. You know Moose wants to go private. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Plus, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash blocked. That's mintmobile.com slash blocked. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash blocked. We are a podcast. You can find us at blockerandporter.org. Um, you can sign up to become a premium member, which gives you three extra episodes a month, as well as access to a thriving community. Our, our weekly comments threads alone are worth $5 a month. Thousands of comments talking about everything. But yeah, that's the best way to support the show is to become a premium subscriber. You can also find us on Reddit at blockerandporter.reddit.com. And you should rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever it's called. Anything else, Katie? Yeah, Jesse, I saw on our subreddit, which I try not to uh, visit because it makes me feel self-conscious. Why do you, does it make you feel self-conscious? Because I don't, I think that it's not for me. I think it's for them. And I think it's, it like doesn't do me good to read about myself on the internet or anywhere else. I think it's for us, by us, or FUBU. <laughs> yes, you should copyright that. Anyway, our faithful moderator, Soft and Chewy, has announced that he is stepping down. I don't know who's replacing him. Soft and Chewy, thank you for your service. Soft and Chewy did an amazing job building this subreddit from nothing to more than 14,000 members, top 5% subreddits on Reddit. Uh, it's a great subreddit, great conversation. I guess there's going to be some sort of process that will probably culminate in a bloody power struggle to figure out who the next mod is, but um, they will have some big, soft and chewy shoes to feel. Thank you so much to Soft and Chewy. Yes, we do appreciate you. We do. And uh, I think that's it. Yeah, the best way to support the show is to give us money. Keep this show going. Blackburnreported.org. Yeah, or just if you see me, just give me money and I, I won't tell Katie. It'll be our little secret. No, don't do that. All right, Katie, you ready to get gay with me? Let's get gay. I've been gay for a while, so I think you're going to be getting gay what? with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2024 announcement much? <laughs> All right, get on with it. Of course, we're talking about Claudine Gay, former president of Harvard University. Um, Some people will be familiar with this story by now, but in December, Gay testified before Congress and made the mistake of basically telling the truth a little bit too bluntly. She, alongside the presidents of MIT and Penn, was grilled by Representative Elise Stefanik about anti-Semitism on these campuses. The clip that went viral involved all the president's basically seeming to refuse to say that a call to genocide the Jews would violate their free speech policies. Um, Which I think we should point out that the, they're, that this is like very theoretical 
nobody, there's yeah. no documentation of any students saying kill the Jews, genocide the Jews. It's based on the reading of slogans like from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free as genocidal statements, which I cite when we talked about this on the show, I cited yeah. this study this Berkeley professor did, and he found that basically student activists are complete fucking morons. They don't even know what river or what sea. They are just repeating shit sure. that they hear. Sure, but they but when they were asked the ab, the hypothetical, yes. they were asked about genocide, not those statements. I mean, they were asked about both, but they said, "Is a call to genocide itself a violation of your policies?" They basically accurately said it's not because it has to be more of a direct threat. You can go back and listen to the episode or read the coverage. It's context dependent. Yes. I think you and Which I is dis- the correct answer. And I think you and I disagreed on this. <laughs> I, I I thought that like in the clips in questions, the university presidents did a piss poor job uh, avoiding falling into this not particularly sophisticated trap. Stefanik sent like they just they needed to bend over backwards to say I'm against anti-Semitism. It's horrible. It's egregious. Technically, the rules we could blah blah blah. They didn't do that. They just they were they appeared. I thought a little bit smug. They were not well prepared. Blah. But I think you disagree with me on that. Well, no, I didn't think that they did a good job. I think that their answers were correct. Yes, but for for a performance, it doesn't just matter whether your answers are correct. It matters how you perform, and that's what this was—a performance. Anyway, and they all had the same lawyers who did a very poor job of Jew lawyer preparing them for this. <laughs> I mean, we've all had a Jew boss. Uh, This caused a moment of giant viral outrage and a lot of media coverage. The UPenn president resigned. The MIT one didn't. She's probably busy like building a robot to exact her revenge or something. I don't know how MIT works. Actually, I just want to throw out my random theory there. I I just think it might be the case MIT is less susceptible to culture war stuff in general because they are mostly STEM nerds. And while they're mostly autistic, Katie, that's really offensive. Remember, we agreed in 2024 less offensiveness. Uh, we did not agree to you that bitch. at all. <laughs> STEM, STEM has seen its fair share of culture war stuff, but I just think there's less of it than in social science and the humanities. And Penn and Harvard are, I mean, they're centers of all these things, but there's less social science and humanities at MIT. Anyway, so so what set Claudine apart from the other two presidents she testified with is that apparently she has a long history of lifting passages, sometimes fairly lengthy ones, from other researchers. Aaron Sibarium, uh, who's this talented young reporter who often reports on like lefty institutions, uh, is at the Washington Free Beacon. He's been all over this story. On January 1st, he wrote uh, this, this summary. Seven of Gay's 17 published works have already been impacted by the scandal, but the new charges, which have not been previously reported, extended to an eighth. In a 2001 article, Gay lifts nearly half a page of material verbatim from another scholar, David Cannon, political science professor at the University of Wisconsin. Okay, so 17 published works, that does not seem like many for an academic at at, at her stage of, of career. No, that is a very, no, it, it's just not. And this is something people have pointed out. It's not necessarily a knock against her ability to be a college president, I guess, in theory, if she has like amazing management or strategic skills or whatever. But no, frankly, that is like, well, again, I've been as big a critic of academic norms as anyone, including the pressure to publish, but 17 published works at her stage is not a lot. Um, I found this interesting as well, because you don't need to be a good scholar to be a good administrator. And in fact, I would argue that there's probably not in real life, there's probably not a real correlation here. However, to rise through the ranks, you probably do need to be an accomplished scholar under most circumstances. The circumstances are probably different here for reasons that get sort of uncomfortable very quickly, which is the fact that she's a black woman and these institutions have all uh, been very public about their desire to increase diversity. I mean, I would also argue that... Taking credit for other people's work is the sign of a good manager. That shows real <laughs> management talent. This is what managers That's how do. how she got there. But yes, she is not actually an accomplished scholar. I mean, she wrote influential... This is a whole other thing that I want to look into more. She wrote like this one paper, this guy, uh, Jonathan Paulison, who's, who I respect, he has a PhD, pointed out some stuff from one of her papers that is so ridiculously bad Um I sort of can't believe it. I want to look into it. It's just really basic, like correlation, not causation stuff that apparently was just in a major political science paper. So I'm not in a position to comment on her scholarship. I do want to look more into that paper. But yes, the point is, um, 
there's actually been a campaign against gay for a long time. Rumors had been swirling about plagiarism on like these online academic boards. Apparently, I received an email tipping me off to some of the plagiarism stuff on December 4th. Why didn't you go for it? Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. Let me just read the top of it. You are one of A5 journalist outlets receiving this major tip. I'm sending this to several... I'm sorry. I've seen a bunch of other journalists. I don't think five was right. A bunch of people are sure. I'm sending this to several outlets because time is of the essence. Claudine Gay will testify before the House Committee on Education Workforce on 12-5-2023 at 10 a.m. EST. If this information emerges before the hearing, she could be asked about it under oath. It includes a lot of examples of her supposed plagiarism. Um, We now know Lee Fong was another one of the journalists who got this email because he said so on his Substack and posted the document. I'm guessing Aaron Sabarium was another, uh, although I don't know if he said anything. And and why didn't you do anything with this? Yeah, I got this Monday, December fourth at seven twenty. This is someone saying that she's testifying the next day at ten a.m. and they're trying to disrupt that by like having someone ask about plagiarism. It just mm-hmm. it came across as a little bit like, oh yeah, we got to get her, we got to get her by that. It, it would not have offered any time to actually investigate this. Plus, if you send something to a journalist and you say I'm sending this to several other outlets, also. Mm-hmm. Like that disincentivizes my desire to look into it because, as far as I know, you're sending it to like major outlets, and I'm just some schmuck. Right. For people trying to tip journalists off, that's not actually a good, a good tactic. Make them think it's exclusive. The first thing, if someone sends me like an actually good tip, usually the first thing I will ask them is if they can agree to just give me a little bit of breathing room to look into it without contacting other journalists because otherwise it could be a huge waste of time. So, um, yeah, I, I also like. I wasn't that interested. I, maybe I should be. I just, I didn't care that much. It, it did look like plagiarism, but it's just, it's not like, it's not the kind of academic scandal that really gets my uh, my juices flowing as it were, because it doesn't involve like data fraud or replication stuff. Anyway, this document that he sent me and apparently five or eight million other journalists was the basis of these two anonymous reports sent to a bunch of higher ups at Harvard. Um, we'll link to one of them. It was the basis of a lot of what Aaron Sibarium ended up writing about. Although, according to the Washington Post timeline, it was Christopher Rufo and Christopher Brunette, a contributing editor at the American Conservative, who first broke the story on their Substack on December 10th. Rufo claimed he waited until the moment of maximum impact. Rufo has this tendency to tweet about his own brilliance, his own tactical brilliance, what he's going to do. He telegraphs. He's a Harvard grad, Jesse. Right. Well, that's another. We'll get to that. He <laughs> telegraphs his plans like the villain from a Bond movie in a way that is not the way like actual smart activists and strategic thinkers operate. Because if you telegraph... I mean, I don't know that you're right about that because it is very effective. I don't think... Based on what is effective? What Sorry, what's effective? He is very how, effective. How? He got Claudine Gay... He got Claudine Gay fired. He got Claudine he's, Gay he's, fired? He's, how did he get he, Claudine... He's part of it. Yes, he's... He is definitely a huge part of this. He got everything that's happened in Florida with the uh, with the new school. With the success of the Ron DeSantis effective. campaign, the guy he, he sort of threw his weight behind? No, I'm talking about... He, he he Jesse, he has he was part of taking over an entire university in Florida. Well, I know, but that's part of Ron DeSantis's push to become president. The all the focus on the new school and the woke stuff. How's Ron DeSantis doing? He's Ron DeSantis is not doing good. Christopher Rufo, no matter what you think of him, and I do not like the guy. I think he's slimy as hell. He is a very, very effective activist. I I don't know. I like I'm sorry, but like what this idea that he like I just I think he throws a lot of stuff at the wall and some of it sticks and sometimes it sticks for reasons that don't really have to do with him. And I think he's been built up in the liberal imagination as this like genius mastermind, which I just I don't buy. Like the biggest the biggest question of if you're someone like him and you're seeking power, the biggest question is whether you can like ingratiate yourself to powerful people. And his decision to throw his weight behind DeSantis, whose entire campaign collapsed in part because he was so fucking online and so Rufoian, I-, I think that's a sign he's not good at what he does. But I guess. Well, Rufo, I mean, he also ingratiated himself with Trump. And w- if Trump wins the next election, I don't think Rufo is going to have a hard time pivoting to re ingratiate himself with Trump. Trump may reject him, but I-, I think the idea that Chris Rufo is not effective at getting what he wants, which is attention for himself and power for himself, I think that is delusional. Okay. I get you and I disagree. You think Chris Rufo is a hero and you want him to be president. I think 
I think he's not maybe a hero. Or <sighs> starting out very well. Anyway, according to the Washington Free Beacon, there were like, oh, now I guess we're well over twenty nine potential cases of plagiarism total. So that's a lot of plagiarism. Okay, yeah, and this is this is obviously a lot of plagiarism. This isn't the sort of thing you don't like stumble your way into that much plagiarism. But I've seen people actually say, no, this isn't plagiarism. She's just stealing language. She's not stealing ideas. Taking language. Taking, borrowing I'm sorry. Language. Stealing, is, stealing is violent. She's borrowing language. Right. So I, I think it's true that she wasn't like taking other people's original ideas and not giving them credit. But I also think that's pretty irrelevant. Um, for one thing, Harvard's Plagiarism Guide for Undergrads says that there's no indication that that matters at all. You just can't take other people's language without attributing it. This is very everybody fucking knows this. knows this. You learn this in high school. Extremely basic. And let me just let me just give an example from a Washington Free Beacon graphic that I'll paste into the show notes. Here's what the scholars Brad, uh, Bradley Palmquist and Stephen Voss wrote. The average turnout rate seems to decrease linearly as African Americans become a larger proportion of the population. This is one sign that the data contain little aggregation bias. If racial turnout rates change depending upon a precinct's racial mix, which is one description of bias, a linear form would be unlikely in a simple scatter plot, blah, blah, blah. Claudine Gay wrote, the average turnout rate seems to increase linearly as African Americans become a larger proportion of the population. This is one sign that the data contain little aggregation bias. If racial turnout rates change depending upon a precinct's racial mix, which is one one way to think about bias. It looks like one is doubled. A linear form would be unlikely in a simple scatter product. That's a lot of words and it's technical. The point is it is almost exactly the same language. I don't understand how gay could be looking at the same data and say the relationship right. is going the other way. I, I should look into that. That's beside the point. The point is she's using almost exactly the same language without crediting Palmquist and Voss. That's plagiarism. And it's bizarre to see scholars say, that that is normal or that's okay. Or they'll be like, well, it's such a technical point. How could you not? Or it's racist. Well, we'll get to that. Or they'll say like, it's such a technical point. It would be pointless to point put it in your own words. No, you need to either put it in your own words or just you can quote them saying that. Sometimes in both journalism and academia, you need to do boring quotes of other people's stuff if there's no real way to rework it. That's just, again, it is... You and I don't like the way the term gaslighting is getting thrown around, but there's been some gaslighting on this. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the people who are defending her have turned this into an issue about race. Nicole Hannah-Jones. Some of them have. Some of them have. Yes. Kendi, Ibram Kendi. There's a lot of examples of this that she was targeted because she's black. It's very convenient and it's really dependent on politics because if those say, if if John McWhorter or Glenn Lowry were accused of plagiarism, do you think that Ibram Kendi would say that the 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 uh the attacks on them were racist in nature? Wait, let me just read his tweet directly. It's really good. The question is whether all these people would have investigated, surveilled, harassed, written about and attacked her in the same way if the Harvard president in this case would have been white. I think not. The- <laughs> The answer is yes. It's not about her race, although for some people I'm sure that's a bonus. It's about her politics. It's because these people saw her as woke as they saw her, and they saw some of them, people like Bill Ackman, saw her as anti as an anti semite or or as enabling anti semitism. Also, I mean, what makes this so bizarre and like so dumb? It's I feel a little dirty even responding to it. Is that the white UPenn president just resigned? We know what would like the week before, and there was no plagiarism. Right. We know, like we know, we literally had that 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 counterfactual. What if they were white? We have access to that counterfactual because it happened factually. Yes, these people are tying themselves in knots to defend a plagiarist. Ellie Mistal of the Nation wrote. All of this is happening because racist white folks had to chew with their mouths closed for two months after George <laughs> Floyd was murdered, and now they're on their revenge. Okay, that's kind of funny. They'll keep roasting. They'll keep roasting any black people they can get their hands on until they satiate their bloodlust. While people from apartheid states call of color blind. It doesn't make sense. The point is, um, it's very close to saying she was basically lynched. Now. I'm too tired to read more of the awful tweets. I'm already tired, y'all, and it's only January 6th. But again, a white president just had to step down without the plagiarism. Um, Unfortunately, Claudine Gay herself fed into this narrative in a column she wrote for The Times. What just happened at Harvard is bigger than me. She basically says this is sort of a right-wing conspiracy. Now, she does mention that she got racial abuse. I have no doubt any, any blank person 
like if it's a Jewish person who's the subject to online scrutiny, they will get anti-Semitism. A faggot person. Uh, some queer person, they will get like whatever you are, the worst elements of the internet, once you're under scrutiny, will send you horrible shit. I have no doubt about that. That does not prove that the underlying issue is fundamentally about race or that, you know, her resignation wasn't justified. So, yeah, um, this whole thing was very demoralizing. And I, I really don't like the idea, which I saw um, Dave Roberts promulgate. And he's Dave Roberts, so he's going to Dave Roberts. But he, he made it sound like people had somehow fallen into like Chris Rufo's trap and like mm-hmm. this shouldn't get covered. And Yeah, Chris was really explicit about his plan. He tweeted this on December 19th. We launched the Claudine Gay plagiarism story from the right. The next step is to smuggle it into the media apparatus of the left, legitimizing the narrative to center left actors who have the power to hop, topple her, then squeeze. Rufo is taking credit <laughs> for like a very random. A lot of things had to happen for Claudine Gay to resign. The plagiarism accusations had been circulating online in like academic centers, uh, forums forever. People knew that was going to happen. When he says we launched it from the right and they smuggled it into the media apparatus of the left, he didn't smuggle anything. The 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 when would the New York Times not cover a college president plagiarism story? How did how did R- Chris Rufo force the New York T- like I don't I'm just very confused by it. Can, I I think you're more you think that he's actually telling the truth and is is like smart. How did what did he do? A lot of people had access to this information. And if he hadn't written about it on a Substack, Aaron Sabarium was on it or the other people on the email I got. What did what did Chris Rufo do here? It wasn't the it, he he was the first person to tweet about this, even but it might have been before his Substack. But I, I do think it's fair to say that he broke this story. But he's not just saying he broke it. He's saying we launched the Claudine Gay plagiarism story from the right. The next step is to smuggle it into the media apparatus of the left, legitimizing the narrative to center left hours who have the power to topple her. She plagiarized. That's a story. It always would have been a story. I mean, I think what's more interesting than Chris Rufo taking credit for this, and I do think he can fairly take credit for breaking this story, even if this story was shopped around to a bunch of people who didn't touch it. Dave Roberts, who I used to work with, I know him. He, his tweets about this, which I don't have pulled up, but his tweets about this were basically, yes, that Chris Rufo successfully manipulated journalists into into covering the story as though they shouldn't have covered the story on its own merits. And to me, it doesn't matter if the story came from Chris Rufo. It doesn't matter if it was launched from the right. It's still a legitimate story. You have the president of a university who has been caught plagiarizing over a dozen times. It doesn't matter what the source is. It doesn't matter if you like the source. Over a dozen times. It was like over 30. By the end, I don't even know the exact count. Dozens of times. Over 30. But yeah, the source, but, but Dave Roberts is a clown at this point because he does this bizarre thing. I mean, in that same uh, tweet storm, which we'll link to on the site Knitter that will let you read the whole thing, whether or not you're on Twitter until they shut down Knitter. Um, he goes, he, he acts as though conservatives are manipulating liberals into covering things they shouldn't cover. So one of the tweets is about, I guess we have to talk about the quote unquote border crisis. Oh my now. God. Well, there's, <laughs> there's a fucking there's border a, crisis. There's a border crisis. There's Dude. massive waves of migration. There's this political stuff with, with Greg Abbott. Send it like, what? Sh- should we not yes. talk? I mean, this is at the point where Democratic city mayors yes. are saying to the Biden administration, like, our resources are being strained. Dave Roberts thinks Dave Roberts gets to fucking decide what journalists cover. Dave Roberts thinks that if something is on Fox News, it has to be false. It's just a bizarre view. And Jane Mayer of the New Yorker uh, provingly quote retweeted what Dave Roberts said about this. Like it's it's widely believed by a number of powerful journalists. Luckily, a lot don't believe it, but like it tells you something, and it it makes it so that you shouldn't trust their coverage or their coverage decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, plagiarism is good now. Is that the is that the message we should be taking for this? Or plagiarism is a nothing burger now? I just I cannot believe that if people who Dave Roberts didn't like or Jane Mayer didn't like were accused of this, that they would defend this or say that this is a non-story. And I'll say, like, I do actually feel a little bit bad for Claudine Gay because her sins happened a long time ago. And so she is now paying for them. As well, she should, I think she should absolutely have been fired from her job. She's the president of a fucking university. I mean, she's still also she's still she's still a professor at Harvard. And she's making nine hundred thousand dollars as a professor at Harvard. So she actually wins because she has to do less work. Doesn't have to deal with the She's being making president. almost a million fucking dollars. To be a professor. I was just mad that Emily Bazelon, who is always right about everything, liked her column. I hate seeing Emily Bazelon be wrong. 
she's usually my low, my gunning star. Um, you know, this really is kind of the perfect story. Like, it's got something for everyone. Chris Rufo and Bill Ackman get to claim victory for this, even though this is sort of like they won on a technicality because the thing that really set this all off was the idea that she defended anti-Semitism, right? That's not why she was fired. And in fact, Harvard defended yeah. her. It was the plagiarism. This is sort of like uh, Al Capone getting busted for tax fraud rather than murder. They won... But they really only won on a technicality. Yeah, it's um, we'll talk more. Or I'll write more about this question whether and to what extent Chris Rufo is winning. But obviously, he said scalped. He was very excited to have gotten her fired. And uh, yeah, but this well, let, can we talk about that the scalping thing? Yeah, the AP had this. I mean, part of the reason we're talking about this is like it's not just online idiots making these arguments like the AP had a story whose original headline was Harvard president's resignation highlights new conservative weapon against colleges plagiarism new a new weapon play like before this there it's just a ridiculous headline and then they had a mention of Chris Rufo's scalped comment and they say that scalping was a practice uh the, the colonists brought to the new world and used against Indians which is an oversimplification of the situation to say the least a lot of stealth editing in that article, including there, including the headline. Um, now, the people pointed out the the wire services will sometimes update their stories when new information comes in. That's not what was happening here. They they changed the lead, which was very dumb. Basically, this is just like them accepting activist framing in an Associated Press story. That's not what the Associated Press is supposed to do. So that was very uh, demoralizing. And now there's all of these other like side narratives, like Chris Rufo. He uh, he apparently got a master's degree from Harvard Extension School, which is like Harvard Light. It's the night school. It's not a master's degree. He says it's a master's degree. This happened right? last February. Well, so, so I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you, but yeah, la this story was from last February, got resurfaced. His bio page originally said he has a master's from Harvard University. Mm -hmm. No, he got this degree from the extension school, which like basically anyone could get into. I'm not the one being like elitist and obnoxious about it, but it's anyone who says they have a master's right. degree from Harvard, that usually means a specific thing. Now, Rufo has implicitly, I don't know what he said publicly, but he's implicitly admitted that was incorrect because he has since changed his language on the Manhattan Institute um, bio page to say he has, I forget, it's like an ALM or something. It's an extension school degree. Right. If he was before, he is no longer covering up the fact that he went to die at Harvard and not the real thing. But this has now turned into this other fucking other timeline on Twitter where people are, are now arguing about whether or not the Harvard Extension School is real Harvard. And you are seeing a lot of snobbery come out. But come on, it's not real Harvard. It's not because you don't have to apply to get in. Yes. The whole point of Harvard Extension School is it's I mean, it's nice. It like lets members of the community take advantage of some of Harvard's resources and and learn it's like uh, you do it after work that's the funny thing yeah that's the funny thing is that it's actually sort of an equity program yeah I, don't, I mean i don't i don't know the details i don't know how much money they make off it but like you can be just be someone with another job who works in boston and then goes to harvard to take like a night course it's nice but and yeah. people are being such pricks about it online like you know it's not real harvard like Jesus. I mean, it's not real Harvard, though. It's not. I know, but but we <laughs> we wouldn't be talking about this if Chris. Oh God, this is so tangled. And then maybe the last thing we should mention is is Bill Ackman, who has led the charge against Harvard for its supposed anti-Semitism. He and his wife, more specifically, did not end up having a good time either, right? Right. So his wife, Neri Oxman, she's uh, she's Israeli. She's our Israeli American. She's also a designer. She's a former professor at MIT and Business Insider looked at a bunch of her publications in her CV is more impressive than Claudine Gay's. They looked at her publications and it turns out that guess what, Jesse, she's also a fucking plagiarist and she even more embarrassing. And the worst kind. Yeah. She plagiarized from Wikipedia. And then, uh, and then her husband, Bill Ackman, he is now defending this. Like he, he tweeted saying basically like Wikipedia, it's not oh even copyrighted. God. Everyone sucks. Yes. It's still plagiarism. I made a mistake on Twitter. I tweeted that she was a current uh, MIT professor. I was looking at the MIT website, which is out of date. She's a former MIT professor. But if she were a current MIT professor, I think she should be fired. Do you? Yeah, for plagiarizing her uh, dissertation yes. from Wikipedia, of course. Right. And she didn't, it wasn't just Wikipedia. She also apparently uh, plagiarized from textbook, a textbook and other scholars. According to Business Insider, there were 28 instances of plagiarism in her dissertation. Everyone sucks. The same lesson from 2023 and 2022 and 20, it's, it applies here. Everyone sucks. 
Well, I mean, you can really see that in the discourse about this because people who a week ago or four days ago were calling for Claudine Gay's head are now defending Neri Oxman and people who were defending Claudine Gay are now coming for Neri Oxman's head. It's so tribal. It's just team sports. For so many people, it's just really about whether they think this is a good person or a bad person if it's on if this person is on their side or not on their side. And that's what should determine whether or not this person is punished. I mean, and I'll say like, Neri Oxman, she is uh, she is apparently has her own company now. She probably shouldn't fire herself. I think that once you are, if you get away with it, once you are out of academia, you shouldn't necessarily be punished for something that you did while you were in school. But uh, I think there are probably many, many academics right now who are who are t- checking their own sources very closely uh, because I, I do not think this is going to be the end of it. More heads will roll. Yeah, um, I'm tired. What I want to know is on October 6, 2023, if Hamas had known that their war, their attack on Israel would eventually lead to the first black president of Harvard losing her job, do you think they still would have done it? Absolutely not. They would have been like, that attack we have planned for tomorrow, it could have a negative effect on uh, DEI, which is very important to us. Yes. Yeah, definitely not. It just seems so American how all of this has shaken out. There's still a war going on. People are still dying. Children are still dying. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just I'm picture. I know I'm picturing like a Gazan child sitting atop the rubble, like with the hour of internet they get a day, desperately scrolling their phone for updates on the Claudine Gay situation. Yes, yes. I want to know what uh, Roxanne Gay has to say about this, but she deleted all her tweets and went private. Did she? They are cousins. I mean, I think we know what she has to say about it. They are, they come from an incredibly. That's another angle of this is both of them come from incredible privilege. They are rich kids. They both went to Exeter. The gay family, this they're a very powerful family in Haiti, apparently. Roxanne Gay's father is in the construction business in Haiti. He apparently owns like a concrete plant or something like that. They come from privilege. No, that was the last point I wanted to make is is just the the it's so disingenuous. All the talk about social justice and racism. These are for the most part on Twitter at least, very, very privileged people defending someone who is incredibly powerful, someone who headed the most important university in the world. So it's just the the intersectional pretzels continue to be very twisty. Well, the great thing about this is that plagiarism is going to be a thing of the past. There's no need to plagiarize anymore. Because of uh, ChatGPT? Yeah. You can just, yeah. just feed someone's dissertation into ChatGPT and it'll spit out a copy that, uh, that does not look plagiarized, yep. but probably is. Uh, anything else, Katie? Actually, you know, I have seen a lot of people say that the next president of Harvard needs to be a black woman. And I, I have an idea. Who? Candace Owens. <laughs> Someone who would never plagiarize. A true a true scholar and a gentlewoman. <laughs> true. This has been Blotch Reported. As always, we're produced with help from Tracy Woodgrains and Jessica, the 80s baby. I'm Jesse Single. And remember, as I have always said, the average turnout rate seems to increase linearly as African-Americans become a larger proportion of the population. And I'm Katie Herzog. And as I've always said, the average turnout rate seems to increase linearly as African-Americans become a larger proportion of the population. 